Um, today, today, as I mentioned before, is Palm Sunday, and and uh, we don't have palms, and so that's kind of a strange thing. Uh, but uh, well, we've got those, but we don't have the ones that they hand out. Sometimes it's hard to get palms in Alaska, and um, the good kind that you can whack your sister with. So, so, um, so we don't have the, the, that kind of palm. Uh, but you'll, you'll notice uh, neither does the story. It's an odd thing about Palm Sunday that most of the scriptures don't mention palms. They're only mentioned in one of the four biographies of Jesus. In John's in John's account of the events of Palm Sunday, uh, he says, "Yes, there are there are palms that they went out into the fields and got palms and put them on the ground," as I mentioned to the children. But the other the other three biographies of Jesus don't mention palms. Uh, Two of them, two of them do mention branches of some kind. They go out into the field and get branches. So, so uh, there is some some reason to call it Palm Sunday. And really, um, Luke is kind of an outlier because he doesn't mention the palms. Um, but uh, but it's it's a strange thing, and we do you don't really have a choice because what else would you call today? What what else would you call it? You know, the last Sunday of Lent. You know, there, there's not a good name for it. You couldn't really call it "Close in the Road Sunday," so that would be a bad name. Um, uh, some some churches uh, some churches call it um, Passion Sunday, and honestly, that causes even more trouble because because we don't mean the same thing by passion anymore that people used to mean. The word passion actually means suffering, but uh, you know, because oh, I'm I'm so in love with you that that my heart is breaking. That kind of thing. Uh, and somehow the, the the suffering part just kind of fell away. So, so the idea of talking about the passion of Jesus uh, just doesn't really work anymore. So we're kind of stuck with Palm Sunday, but but um, it is in all four of the biographies of Jesus. Uh, but they don't explain it. They, you know, Luke doesn't even explain why did he why did he omit the palms. So so uh, what is it about Palm Sunday? Why don't they explain it? And and what is its significance? If if um, it's important enough for all four biographies to include it. Why don't they explain it to us? Why? Why is there no explanation? There's not a word. It, you can search all four. You can search the the, the letters of Paul and the other uh, uh, epistles. Nobody ever explains Palm Sunday, and um, that that leaves us asking: Well, what does it mean? What what is what is the the point of Palm Sunday? How is it significant? And um, if you have to leave early, I'm going to give you the answer. Uh, here, here's the answer: Jesus brought peace to Jerusalem. So that's that's the answer. Now, that may in turn cause all kinds of problems. You say, "Wait a minute! I don't think of Easter and Holy Week as being very peaceful." You know, Christmas, sure. You know, sleep in heavenly peace, uh, peace on earth, and mercy mild. You know, there's there's lots of peace associated with with Christmas. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. There's a lot of ideas of, of peace around Christmas, but Easter and Holy Week are kind of the opposite. Uh, so, so what is the opposite of peace? Well, if, if most of us would, would say the opposite of peace is war. But um, if you go to a spokesperson for the Pentagon, they wouldn't use the word war. They would say kinetic action. So, so um, I like that because because what happens in, in during um, Palm Sunday and Holy Week is not really war, but 
it's pretty kinetic. You know, if you think about it, the first thing Jesus does, he gets into town, he goes to the temple and he drives out the money changers, right? He makes a whip out of cords and drives them out, um, spilling change on the ground, whatever, whatever else happened. Um, Jesus drives out the money changers. And then later on in the week, there's a, there's a mob that comes to arrest Jesus. This mob with, with, uh, swords and clubs and torches. They all come to the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest Jesus. That sounds pretty kinetic. And then, of course, there's the events of Jesus' trials um, where he's beaten and, and flogged and ultimately crucified. That's all pretty kinetic. It doesn't sound very peaceful to me. And yet, and yet, the point of Palm Sunday is that Jesus brought peace to Jerusalem and, and really to everyone. Jesus brought peace to the whole earth on Palm Sunday. So let's go ahead and look at how that works out, um, even though it may not seem obvious that peace has anything to do with Palm Sunday. So we begin our reading in verse 28. This is the one I, I of all the ones to skip. So Luke wants us to remember something. He says, after Jesus said this, so he's he's reminding us, before I go on, I want you to keep in mind what, I, what Jesus just said. So what is it that Jesus just said? Well, Jesus said something that is called the parable of the pounds or the parable of the ten minutes. It's kind of like another parable that's maybe a little better uh, known, but but it's basically somebody who has to get some. He's got to be somewhere else, and so he gives some money to his servants and has them has them do stuff with it. But in the case of the parables of ten minutes, Jesus says um, that it's a certain man who was born into royalty and went to a distant land to receive his kingdom and then return. So that's kind of different, that this guy is going off to get his kingdom and return. And Jesus adds this. He says his citizens hated him, so they sent a representative after him who said, we don't want this man to be our king. So picture, you know, Jesus doesn't say this, but we might picture something like uh, someone like a Pilate or a Herod who goes off to Rome and says, "Uh, I want to be king over the Holy Land. And if the emperor says that's good, then he comes back and now he's the king of that that province or whatever. So that's kind of the idea that's in play here. And um, uh, then Jesus talks about how when he when he came back, he dealt with his uh, 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 servants who had been doing the investing, and he sorts them out, and you know some of them get rewarded and. One of them doesn't. But then he concludes with this. Jesus concludes the parable this way. He says, As for my enemies who don't want me as their king, bring them here and slaughter them before me. So that's what Jesus just said last. So as after Jesus said this, go slaughter those enemies, um, in this parable, he says, he, um, he goes on to, to, um, to Jerusalem, so Jesus is out in front of this crowd. He's 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 in a hurry. He wants to get to Jerusalem and complete his work there. So um, he is going to do that. And um, so uh, when he gets to Bethphage, so verse twenty nine, he gives his two disciples a task, or two of them a task. And it's complicated. It's it's detailed explanation. He says, "Go get this donkey that's over in the other village," and they do. And there's this conversation that happens there. And the details don't really matter. But again, this is something that appears in all four of the biographies of Jesus. Different writers emphasize different aspects of it, but they all agree Jesus got a donkey from that village and uh, then rode into town on the donkey. So so uh, we see that, and um, I'm just going to skip ahead. 
and they bring it to Jesus. They bring the donkey back. They put their clothes on the colt and lifted Jesus onto it. And um, as Jesus rode along, they spread their clothes on the road. So they have brought this donkey to him. And everybody understands, unlike us, everybody understands what that means. What does it mean that Jesus is coming into town on a donkey? They understand. They immediately uh, start you know, taking off their mantles and so forth and throwing them in the ground. And the reason for that is they understand the significance of this. They understand it's a cultural thing that um, people would say, a king has come to town, a, a big shot, somebody that we want to know you know, we're rolling out the red carpet for. So they do that. They put palms and they put clothes on the ground because they know somebody super important has come to town. A king has come to town. And um, so they um, they they throw down their clothes. There's actually a, a story in the, in the Hebrew scriptures that talk about an example of this. We don't get a lot of the details of the coronations and so forth. But if you read in 2 Kings chapter 9, you'll see about one guy who, who wasn't born into royalty but became king anyway. His name was Jehu. And he was a general under King Joram. And Jehu... Uh, staged a coup d'etat against his king. And his officers all um, put their clothes down on the, the ground to say, yes, we're going to support you. You're the king now. So they do the same kind of thing. So Jehu then gets in his chariot, rides to, rides to uh, the capital, and, and kills the king. So that's how he becomes king. So uh, this is just the way people would have understood. That's what happens when somebody... Uh, uh, is is an important visitor who comes to town. So uh, Jesus approaches the, the road leading down uh, from the Mount of Olives, and the whole throng of his disciples began rejoicing, and they praise God with a loud voice because of all the mighty things they've seen. They understand this. Some of them have put their clothes on the ground, uh, but everybody understands what's going on. They said, Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to the highest heaven. So, uh, Luke is probably, scholars tell us, writing for a Gentile audience. So he leaves out some of the things that wouldn't have made any sense to them. He leaves out Hosanna, which is a um, Hebrew, Hebrew phrase that means um, save us. So, so uh, God save us. So um, he leaves that out, and instead he just says blessings on the king. He doesn't say the one who comes in the name of the Lord. He says blessings on the king. And the reason is that that's how Psalm 118 was used in in um, the liturgy of of ancient Israel, is that um, when when the king was coronated, or really any time there was a special Thanksgiving service, they would give God, the, the king would lead the worship, and he would, um, they would, they would sing this psalm, and it says, Lord, please save us, Hosanna, Lord, let us succeed, the one who enters in the Lord's name is blessed, we bless all of you from the Lord's house. So that's what they would say to welcome this king as part of their liturgy. The crowd understands what's going on. They, they've thrown their, their clothes on the ground, and now they start singing this enthronement psalm. And uh, so they understand that. So uh, here it is. It helps if the slides are in the right order. I, I put the slides together. Um, so um, so this is the thing. They, the, the men took their cloak, uh, and uh, they um, said, Jehu has become king, and he got in a chariot, and so forth. So... So the crowd understands what Jesus is doing. They understand why he's coming into town, um, that they understand that he is the king. That's, that's indicated 
even though they don't explain it to us, they, they indicate it by putting their clothes on the ground and by singing this, this psalm of enthronement. So they understand that. And the Pharisees understand it. Not just his supporters, but the critics understand it. So the Pharisees have been criticizing Jesus since back in chapter 5. They've been, uh, you know, taking pot shots at Jesus. Whatever he does, it's wrong. And he, they tell him, you're a bad teacher. They say, uh, teacher, scold your disciples, tell them to stop. You shouldn't let them tell people that you're a king. They understand it, and they say you need to make them stop. And Jesus says, um, I tell you, if they were silent, the stones would shout it. So so they understand. The, the, the supporters understand what Jesus is doing, and the critics understand it as well. Everybody understands. Maybe the reason the, the, the Pharisees are criticizing is just because that's habit. It could be because they're just afraid. They don't want to be anywhere near Jesus. If he's going to, to come into town and announce an insurrection. They don't want to be anywhere nearby because Rome is on high alert. This is the festival. About a hundred thousand people from all over the Holy Land would come to Jerusalem in the in the spring for this festival. And the the Roman governor he comes in from the coast. He normally stays in uh, Caesarea, but he comes to Jerusalem. Uh, King Herod comes down from Galilee. Everybody comes to to Jerusalem because they know that's where the crowds are and that's where any trouble will happen. So uh, Rome is on high alert, and the Pharisees may just be thinking, I don't want to be near you. You know, if you're doing this, you know, tell them to shut up because I don't want to get arrested by Rome because Rome is going to to treat any kind of insurrection very brutally. So, So... For whatever reason, they show that they understand what Jesus is doing. Jesus is is acting like a king who's coming to town. So there's no explanation, but the reason is because it would have been obvious to everyone in the first century. That's what Jesus was doing. Jesus was arriving in town as a king. So they understood that. But the rest of the events of Holy Week show that Jesus is a different kind of king. Jesus is not the king that they were expecting. Jesus is completely different. He's not like Jehu, right? He doesn't show up on a chariot and liquidate all of his all of his opponents. That's not what what Jesus does. Jesus is a king like Zechariah uh, foretold. Look, your king will come to you. He's righteous and victorious. He's humble and riding on an ass, on a colt, the offspring of a donkey. He's on a donkey and he will cut off the chariot and the war horse that he has no use for those things because he is a different kind of king. He's not the kind who shows up and starts killing his adversaries. He's a completely different kind of king. He's not like the Romans. He's not like the Babylonians, the Persians. All the people who have run this country for the last 600, 700 years, they've all acted that way, and Jesus is a different kind of king. Jesus doesn't act like the king in his parable. Everybody would have said, yes, that's what a king would do. If you've been away and you come back, what would any normal king do? He would slaughter his his opponents. He would eliminate any opposition. But Jesus doesn't act like that. So, Jesus is a different kind of king, and he has a different kind of peace. It's not the peace of eliminating your opposition. It's not even the peace of going up into the hills and waiting your chance to conduct a guerrilla warfare. Jesus has a different kind of peace. And that's why Jesus weeps. Luke says, as Jesus came to the city and observed it, he wept over it. It's only one of two two times in the scriptures where Jesus weeps. He wept over the city and he said, if only you knew on this of all days the things that lead 
peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. So Jesus says, you don't understand the kind of peace I'm bringing. You're thinking about the kind of peace Jehu brought. You're thinking about the kind of peace the Romans enforced across their empire. He says, that's not the kind of peace I have. I have a different kind of peace. And he says, you don't know the things that lead to peace. And as a result of that, he says, um, in, the, in the passage just after this one, he says, um, he says, uh, the time will come when your enemies will build fortifications around you, encircle you, and attack you. Jesus it seems to be looking ahead to uh, the, one of the Jewish revolts in 70 A.D. when, when the temple is destroyed. And he says they will, they will circle you and hymn you, and they won't leave one stone on top of another, because that's the kind of peace Rome brings. Rome has a different kind of peace than I do. Rome destroys their adversaries, and then graveyards are very peaceful. That's the kind of peace that Rome understands. But Jesus brings a different kind of peace. And he says, if only you understood the things that lead to peace. And that's really the question that's for us too. Do we understand the things that lead to peace? Do we know where we can have peace? Not the kind of peace of eliminating all the troubles, lining them up, having them slaughtered. You know, that guy in accounting... You know, it's not that kind of peace. Jesus is offering a different kind of peace. So the question for us to consider is, do we have peace? Do we know the things that lead to peace? We're going to be looking at this question over the next couple of weeks. Um, and we're going to be looking at different ways that we can have peace. So um, the, the only real application today is to come back next time. But in the meantime, think about where in your life you need peace. Where are you stressed? Where are you troubled? What keeps you awake at night? Or what wakes you up in the middle of the night? What what in your life is a place that shows you need more peace? Because that's what Jesus came to provide. Jesus came to provide us with peace. The, the, the people in the crowd, they said, peace in heaven. See, God is not at war with us. No matter what you may think, no matter what... The, the way you've interpreted your, your life or your experience, no matter what other people have said to you, God is not at war with you. There is peace in heaven. The question is, can we have the kind of peace that Jesus came to bring? Do we know the things that lead to peace? So, we'll be looking at this over the next several weeks, but we're going to start next week by saying, why do we, why do we trust Jesus? You know, he's just some guy who showed up in town and says, I know where peace comes from. And next week we're going to see where it is, uh, why, why we can trust Jesus as he says where peace comes from. So I invite you to come back for that. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, 2,000 years have, have gone by and this world is still filled with kinetic action. There's so much war and violence in this world nation against nation, and individual against individual, Lord. We look for peace in the wrong ways. We we want the peace of a graveyard where there is no opposition and there is no one who will give us trouble. We pray, Lord, that you would show us what Jesus came to bring, the kind of peace there is in heaven, the kind of peace that we can have because of what he has done for us. We ask these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.